Great to share with you again. I want to tell you a little story. It's not my story, so I'm going to read it. It's uh, shared by somebody called David Wiles, who is the CEO of Frontier Youth Trust. I picked this up out of the um, out of the Bible in One Year app from last year. It says this. He tells this story of a little girl named Liz, who was suffering from a rare and serious disease. Her only chance of recovery appeared to be a blood transfusion from her five-year-old brother, who had miraculously survived the same disease and had developed the antibodies needed to combat the illness. The doctor explained the situation to her younger brother and asked the little boy if he would be willing to give his blood to his sister. He hesitated only for a moment before taking a deep breath and saying, yes, I'll do it if it will save her. As the transfusion progressed, he lay in the bed next to his sister and smiled as they all did, seeing the colour returning to her cheeks. Then his face grew pale and his smile faded. He looked up at the doctor and asked with a trembling voice, would I start to die right away? The little boy had misunderstood the doctor. He thought he was going to have to give his sister all of his blood in order to save her. The boy loved his sister so much he was willing to die instead of her as a substitute. Isn't that an incredible story? And that kind of sums up the message of Romans to me. And Michelle, you just shared a story with us before. Come just and share that. You just were telling me something that the Lord was showing you and I thought it was... A good moment just to say what you say what you said to me. Just sorry to bring you up in front of everybody. Just say it to everybody. No, I get a bit shaky. Talking. You'll be all right. Um, yeah, but during worship, uh, I found myself in the spirit in the throne room, kneeling before our heavenly Father, and I um, felt like I shouldn't be there. I didn't deserve to be there. I felt unclean, and um, the Father said to me that I was covered in the blood of Christ, and. That's all he sees, and I asked, how can Christ have enough blood to cover us all? And he's given me a vision for my, um, I'm very inquisitive and I need answers all the time. So he gave me a vision of a, of a syringe, and just one little drop of blood came out and covered me like a teardrop. Mm. And that's what he saw. And the reason only he, need, um, he showed me that I only needed that amount is because the Lord's blood is that powerful. I only need one little drop. And that's what he sees, not me, but the blood of Christ. How wonderful. Thank you. Isn't that brilliant? Thanks so much for sharing that, Michelle. And that's kind of the, the message of the whole of Romans that we've been looking at. As you know, if you've been following on, we've been uh, on this journey. We're on to part 13 of our, in our exploration through the book of Romans. Uh, just, there we go. And uh, the good news is there are only two more left. <laughs> the bad news is there's the rest of your life to work it out. <laughs> uh, so next week Chris will be sharing and then we're going to have a break for a couple of weeks and then I'll be finishing this off just at the start of... Um, of March. Um, the earlier chapters of Romans describe just how Michelle was saying. Oh, thank you guys. Yeah, if you can give out those sheets. Um, there are sheets coming around with the notes for today. By the way, if you've missed any of these talks, they're all on the website and the handouts are all downloadable from the website as well. So we, we, if we've got spares, we leave them on the table at the back from last week or the week before. But the handouts are all available to download on the website along with the slides. Uh, for the PowerPoint, and if you need any help with that, just give us a shout or come and speak to someone on the desk, and they'd love to help you with that. Um, as we've already said, Jesus' blood substituted for us. That's the heart of the gospel, as Paul explains in Romans. He, with, with a lawyer's skill, Paul has unpacked this and, and unpacked this argument a stage at a time and built his case all the way through the first 
uh, particularly the first eight chapters. Um, he has also made a really, really consistent point all the way through that this is for everyone. This is for everyone. No one is excluded. Okay, no one is excluded. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter what your whether you've got a religious background and what religion that was. It doesn't matter what your cultural background is or whether you're non-religious. Jesus' love is available for everyone. Jesus' blood is available for everyone. Jesus died for everyone. That's the gospel. And uh, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, when we got to the, the peak of the mountain at chapter twelve, this is a turning point. And we spent the last two of our talks looking at. Uh, Chapter 12, um, and it's here that Paul starts to apply this truth and teach it in more practical outworking. In terms of, basically what he says is in view of God's mercy, this is the kind of life you're meant to lead. Okay, Because of everything that God has done for us, everything we've, we've, everything we've learned, everything we've explored, Paul says we are now called not to be conformed to the world anymore, but be transformed and changed into a new likeness, into a new image. We're... We're called to be renewed, we're called to be changed, we're called to be in Jesus and like Jesus, to live God-filled lives that make a difference to those around us in every way. And I put that quote on your sheet that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Authentic Christian worship is found in a rhythm of adoration, which is what we've just done, and action, which is what we're going to do for the rest of the week. Adoration and action. Adoration and action. And... uh, a friend of mine called Steve Lee, you maybe know him, he's, um, he's an evangelist, he's been around here for a long time. He's been engaged uh, in working on the refugee site in Calais for the last two or three months. And uh, an amazing thing happened, it's a long story that I haven't really got time to go into, but basically they have a, a truck that they use for evangelistic events, and it's based in northern France, and they moved it onto the, onto the refugee camp about two or three months ago in order that the generator on the truck could power a whole bunch of medical and community stuff that's going on on the site. Um, Last week, or maybe it was the week before, Steve posted a a thing on Facebook saying, we've got a problem with the engine on our truck, and I need somebody who can service this particular type of engine. Normally that engine is used in um, tractors and farm machinery. Um, I can't remember the details. Anyway, he, he put this on, and I was talking to him last week. He said, it's just so humbling to see the Christian community uh, and the practical love that they show by getting around. Within literally a day or so, he was able to source people who could help with the parts and people who could come out and fix the engine. And basically the Christian community, using the power of social media, was able to um, just to get this thing solved. I mean, isn't that incredible? This is what, I'm talk- this is what t- Paul's talking about when he says love is practical. Love is practical. Anyway, that was, that was all by way of introduction. We're going to move on to chapter 13 today, and uh, we're going to read the whole of chapter 13, which I'm going to read from the NIV translation. So if you've got a Bible, or you've got it on your phone, or your iPad or something, or your non-Apple device, maybe you want to, um, maybe you want to look it up. And I'm going to read from 13 uh, all the way through. Submission to governing authorities. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. 
They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Verse 5, therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because it's of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. And this is why, also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If you owe, if respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. And do this. Understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. That's the whole of chapter 13, and uh, there's a couple of different themes going on there. I want to focus mainly on the first seven verses and then just make a couple of comments in conclusion about the, uh, about the, the last two um, paragraphs. Paul's teaching here is on, and has been on, how to live a transformed kingdom life. It's already been fairly challenging up to now, wouldn't you agree? I mean, chapter 12, chapter 12 unpacks how the gospel has these massive implications for the way in which Jesus' people relate to other people. Over the last two sessions, we've been, we've been talking about how we're called to be different, how we're called to stand out because of what Jesus has done for us. Stand out different because of how we do relationships. In chapter 12, he talks about how that starts in church, Humble service in the body of Christ. And then it broadens out into relationships and society at large. The second part of chapter 12, love in action, talks about how we are called to love friends and enemies alike with a love that is sincere, a love that hates evil, a love that clings to what is good, a love that's real, a love that's doggedly committed, a love that puts others first, that's incredibly patient And a love, as we've already said, that combines feelings with practical action. And as if that isn't challenging enough, chapter 13, Paul now turns his attention to how it is that Christians are meant to relate to the governing authorities in society at large. I've got three points to make here. And the first one is this, very simply, chapter one, that government is established by God. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, Paul says, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities exist and have been established by God. If you look down this, these seven verses, you will find that the word God is probably the most prominent word in this passage. This passage is not about the authorities, this is about God. It's centered on him. God is not indifferent or absent from government or from politics. That's Paul's message here. In fact, The principle and structure of government has been established by God. And Christians are to submit to them. Governments aren't just simply the result of a power struggle. They are a gift from God. 
Now, it's important to say that not all governments are good or godly. But the principle of government is both good and godly. And that's what Paul is getting at here. Government is God's way of ordering society. Verse 3, governments hold people to account and create social order. Verse 3 and 4, do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Well, then do what's right. The one in authority has the ability to punish the wrongdoer. If you do wrong, verse 4, be afraid. Because rulers don't bear the sword for no reason. This is Paul reinforcing the fact that the government's call is to keep the peace. is to maintain society. If you want to have a good life, Paul says, keep the rules. But he goes further than that in verse 5, doesn't he? Because he says, it's not just keeping the rules because you might get punished, which is kind of a selfish motivation. It's keeping the rules out of a good conscience. Because it's the right thing to do before God. Submitting to government authorities is a natural response to God's goodness to us. It's shown in the gospel by Jesus. Jesus submitted, we submit. There are other places in the Bible where believers are called to disobey governments. And I will come to that in a few minutes. But I just want to establish this principle first. That government is established by God and the principles are established by God. And therefore, as Christians, we are called to submit to government. Verse 7 says, give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe revenue, pay revenue. Anyone paid their tax recently? Yeah? Just come past the deadline. We all, all those of you who are freelance or self-employed, I know all about this, finding the money to pay the revenue. If respect, then pay respect, and if honour, then honour. This is a clear instruction from Paul to the Christians to pay the taxes to the authorities that are due them. And also to give honour and respect. I would add calm and qualified respect to those who govern us. And Paul's really echoing something that Jesus taught very clearly, isn't he, in Matthew 22, where the, author, where the Jewish authorities come at Jesus with what they think is a really tricky question. So, you know, who are we supposed to pay our taxes to? Who's in charge around here? Are you claiming to be God? And Jesus says, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what is God's, which is an incredible answer, an incredibly wise answer. But interestingly, that isn't just an instruction to pay taxes. See, as always when Jesus speaks, there's usually layers of meaning. And what Jesus is really saying is, you know what? Caesar, he isn't God. Because in that culture, the, 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 the governor was thought of as a god. Everybody thought of governors and kings as gods. And Jesus is saying, yeah, yeah, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. But just acknowledging that he's not the highest power around here. That God is a higher power. And that's what Jesus is saying. So he's, yes, he's in, in one, on one hand he's saying, yes, you need to pay your taxes. And then on the other hand he's saying, however, just to acknowledge that power doesn't stop there. It goes, authority doesn't stop there, it goes higher. A guy called Justin Martyr, who was a theologian who wrote in the first century, said this. Second century, sorry. He, said, he wrote something called his first apology. And he challenged the Romans 
to investigate the rumours of Christian misbehaviour. The Romans were going around going, oh, the Christians, they're all misbehaving, they're all breaking the law. He said, no, 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 no. Just, just really look at this. He noted that the Christians pay their taxes and pray for the emperor. He asserted that once the facts were in, the Christians would be found to be moral, upright, and law-abiding citizens who are the empire's best allies in securing good order. See, as Christians who understand the reality of sin and the gospel and whose worldview only recognises the kingdom of heaven as a perfect rule, we don't idealise any human institution. You know, we respect and we honour our authorities, but they're not God's. And that's the point that Paul's making here. We don't expect any more from them than what they can deliver. And so we're called as Christians to pray for those who are in authority over us, pray for their wisdom, pray for their courage, pray that they make good and righteous judgments. I don't know if this is still true, but I've heard a couple of times and read it as well, that among MPs, the general culture, the general word about Christians is that most Christians who write to MPs write either accusing or critical letters. If you go and talk to your MP and ask them, that's probably what they'll tell you in general terms. I mean, isn't, that, isn't that a sad indictment on us as a church, on us as Christians? If you get your chance to meet your MP or anyone in authority, can I just suggest that we start off by thanking them for what they're doing, by encouraging them in what they're doing, and by praying for them. Joe and I, when we first took over this job, we went to meet our MP, Steve Bryan. We you know, did all the things that you have to do, arrange an appointment with him. We went to one of his surgeries. He said, we, we don't really have anything major to ask you about. We just want to pray for you and to get to know you and to let you know that we're, we're, we're for you and we're with you. It's got nothing to do with party politics. It's got nothing to do with what, what political persuasion you are. You're our MP and we want to bless you. And that stood us in good ground because I, th- I think he, c- he can remember my name, I think. I've bumped into him a couple of times and I think he remembers who I am. I just, every now and then he sends, I'm on his email list and he sends his email saying, this is what I've been doing. And, and all, all I do very simply, not every time, but sometimes is just send a one-line email back saying, thank you for the update, Steve. Bless you in what you're doing. We just know that we're still praying for you and we think of you. I bet you that makes, it doesn't feel like a lot to me, but I bet it makes a big difference to him. Actually, it's not just MPs. Any, anybody who's in authority over us. This is something Joe's really good at. Head teachers of our schools. Anybody who's working in the council, the police force. Anybody who's in authority who has a tough job and has to make tough decisions. Wouldn't it be a blessing if we could just say, hey, we just really recognise that you're, you've got a tough job and we're praying for you, we're thinking of you. And we just bless you today. Wouldn't that be great? Now, the truth is, I'll just be really honest here, I found it very difficult to get engaged in politics for a number of years now, just even in thinking about it and talking about it. Like many in my generation, I expect I've become gradually more cynical and detached from politics and politicians. Some of them obviously are in it for the right reasons. Some of it seem to be in it for the wrong reasons. Um, you know, you never really know what the media, whether what the media is reporting is the truth anyway about them, um, I, I realised that a couple of years ago that I needed to change my thinking on this. Um, I, I, just between you and me, I'm still not particularly interested in the party politics because I can't really figure out the, what it's all about. But I do really acknowledge that for people who are in authority over us, we need to get engaged in that process. And I can't just stand by and stick my head in the sand. 
So that's just where I'm at with all this. Um, I've got some way to go as well, but this is clearly what Paul is teaching about here. The Bible's very clear that as a Christian, I'm called to be part of transforming society and to be an influence for good. Like, the Bible uses two different metaphors, like yeast in the dough is one metaphor that the Bible uses, or like salt in the meat. We're called to flavour and influence the society that we live in. We won't ever do that if we just withdraw from society and retreat into a Christian ghetto. It just won't happen. So our response to the gospel of Jesus is not to get everyone into ministry in the church. It's the opposite. It's to get everyone into ministry out in the world. We need to have Christians ministering at every level of society in government, including government, including local, regional, and national government, be it as a paid employee or as an elected member. I'm not aware that we've got any councillors here, but if I'm wrong, I'd love to hear about it. And if not, why not? What's, you know, we're called to get involved in society. Maybe for some of you, you know, God is stirring you to go and become a local councillor. That might actually mean that you can't make it to church every Sunday. But that's okay, because you're doing what God's calling you to do. We're called to be influencers here. Do you get me? Are you with me? Is this okay? You're all very quiet today. Come on, shape up. Um, it's good stuff. I didn't, I didn't hear that. Do a little wiggle. Okay. Not me, you. Okay. So why don't you all stand up and just turn around and jiggle you. Thank you. Well done. Thank you to the one. Okay, well, look, I'll make you a deal. I won't make you stand up as long as you smile at me and go, uh-huh, occasionally, all right? If you really want to get excited, you can go, preach it, brother. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Right, let's turn the page over. Christians should... So what we've said so far is that God has established government and that we need to submit to authorities. And here's the crunch point. Christians should test the government against God's laws. So while submitting to government is a God-given principle, and there are times... But there are times when it's appropriate not to submit to government. And as Christians, we do need to evaluate the government and its laws. Now, Paul hints at this in Romans, but there are other parts of the Bible that make it more explicit. Okay, we've already mentioned one of those hints, the hint that that we're called to submit to the authorities. Okay, we've already talked about that in verse 7. Give everyone what you owe. Just that acknowledgement of, from that, what Jesus said, that the authorities are there, they're important, but they're not the highest power. There's another hint as well in, cha- in verse 4. It's a very, very short phrase that Paul mentions in verse 4. And it says, he is God's servant to do you good. That's it. He is God's servant to do you good. Your governor is God's servant to do you good. They are God's servants. Clearly, those in authority have a responsibility under God to act and operate and rule and govern in good order. Have you ever seen this film? The Lion King. And Simba says to his dad, Mufasa, I thought being a king meant you could do whatever you want. And Mufasa, his dad, said, oh, there's, there's, there's a lot more to being a king than that. You see, with divine authority comes awesome responsibility and 
divine accountability as well. And yes, it's true, sometimes civil disobedience is required in order to stand against institutions which contradict God's moral order. And I've put a quote on your, uh, I've just put a quote from Simon Ponsonby's book here, which just gives four examples on your sheet. These are just examples, two from the Bible and two from history. That Daniel refused to obey the edict to pray only to King Darius for 30 days and consequently was subject to governing authority. He was thrown in the lion's den. In the New Testament, that Peter and the apostles were forbidden by the Sanhedrin to preach the gospel, but they refused on the grounds that they should obey God, not man. You can read that in Acts chapter 5. And throughout history, this has happened, that many Christians in the early centuries of the Roman Empire chose martyrdom rather than hand over their sacred skulls to be burned or blasphemed. When faced with that really tough decision of declaring Caesar as Lord, I mean, it's it's happening right now, isn't it? We read about this happening in the Middle East right now, that Christians are being called to denounce their faith or die. This is real stuff. Some Christians, all too few Christians, actually hid Jews in Nazi-occupied Europe rather than comply with the wicked laws that handed them over to be exterminated. I don't know if you've ever heard of or read the story of a lady called Corrie Ten Boom, who wrote a book called The Hiding Place. I saw this. Oh, it's gone. Hello? Can we come back? Oh, it's gone. (laughs) Come back. Come back. Um, Anyway, uh, I'll tell you anyway. As a kid, I remember seeing the film of this. Oh, I see. We've got a we've got a notice. As a film, I remember seeing the as a kid, I remember seeing the film of this, The Hiding Place. This girl, Corrie Ten Boom, grew up in the Netherlands, in in uh, Holland, and her family were Christians, and they had Jewish neighbours. And as a family, they they literally went right out of their way to help their Jewish neighbours in all sorts of different ways and to stand with them. And ultimately, what they did was to build a secret room in their house in which they could hide people, Jewish refugees who were fleeing from the authorities. And they hid six in there, um, all of whom, most of whom, all but one, survived the war. Even after the family were taken away by the Nazis to concentration camp. And that's a pretty incredible story, right? See, there are times when we are called to stand against the governing authorities. When civil disobedience is appropriate and where it's necessary to stand up against the law which contravenes one of God's laws. But the Bible also says that there's grace for that. It doesn't pretend that, it isn't, that it's going to be easy. There is persecution and suffering, ultimately death. I'm not making light of that at all. It's a very serious subject. But we have already looked at this in Romans. The gospel and the grace and the blood of Jesus is there for that too. When we look at our lives from God's perspective, suffering and hardships however difficult they become, become bearable. That's what Paul says in Romans. And so we need to pray for those who are standing up against corrupt governments now. Hillary leads a, a prayer meeting on a, just a little time to pray on a Thursday lunchtime if you're free. Come and join her, praying for the persecuted church. Or you can get some information from her and do it your own way. It's a really important point, that, isn't it? And just two concluding principles that I want to bring out. We've talked about governance and government and how we respond and relate to government. And kind of the context for all that, I think, can be found here in chapter, in verse 8. Verse 8 to 10. 
We're called to love our neighbours and to become doers of good in our civic communities. It's interesting, isn't it? If you go back in your Bible to the previous chapter, the last verse of chapter 12, the very last verse of chapter 12, before we got into this passage, says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with, with good. And so this whole section about government and governing authorities is bookended by don't overcome evil, sorry, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And at the other end, love one another, because love fulfills the law. So the context of this is that we're called to live differently, to love one another, and that is called, that's how God is going to change society. Let no debt remain, this is verse 8, outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another, for love has fulfilled the law. And all of the commandments are summed up in this sentence, love your neighbour as yourself. So basically Paul is restating again what he's already said in chapter 12, that love is the key to all of this. And that God's love for his people, demonstrated in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, is our model and our example for sacrificial submission and loving our friends and our neighbours and changing society as we do that. Love underpins everything. You know, Jesus said, didn't he, my command is this, love one another as I have loved you. He said, greater love has no one than to lay down his life for his friends. And actually, if you were to bring it down to one sentence, what we're called to do is lay down our lives for our friends and for those around us. That's actually what discipleship is. It's costly, it's sacrificial, it's precious. It's what God calls us to do. Laying down our lives. We're not meant to live for ourselves, we're meant to live for others. We're not meant to exist just to have a jolly time in church. We're meant to exist so that society is changed and transformed because of the way that we live out the gospel and the way we carry the blood of Jesus around with us. We're to become doers of good in our neighbourhoods and our communities. I was a bit blown away. I remember in 2011 there were some riots in London. Do you remember? The very next day I saw a video from Pete Gregg from the 24-7 organisation and he, they'd mobilised a whole bunch of Christians out on the streets with brooms and they just got out there and they just started clearing up. They said, there's been a mess here. We're not judging anybody. We're just getting involved in doing something practical that we can help to sort things out. Isn't that amazing? Let me read you something from a blog um, from The Spectator magazine. This is a Spectator blog that came up just before Christmas, 24th of December. A guy called Dan Hitchens. The actual blog is called Britain Needs Christianity, Just Ask Alan Partridge. Um, I, I, you can read that bit for yourself. I'm not going to quote the Alan Partridge bit. It's, it's interesting, but not quite where we're at today. Let me just read you a couple of paragraphs from this blog. He said this, as he says, as... He says, are we really, as David Cameron claimed in his Christmas message, a country shaped by Christian values? Yesterday's evening standard poll, which found that shopping is three, more, three times more integral to Britain's Christmas than going to church, makes you wonder what that phrase even means. It doesn't just mean do-goodery, though that is important. Get this, about 10 million Britons get help from a church-based group every year. If you see a queue of homeless people in a town centre at about six o'clock in the evening, you can bet that there are a bunch of God-botherers handing out sandwiches at the other end of it. Well, there is... I'm just reading you what he wrote. (laughs) Where there is poverty, physical illness, mental illness, unemployment, 
The people who see it and respond are disproportionately likely to be Christians. Realistically, this is the quote I love, realistically the social fabric of this country would collapse without them. And then he goes on to say, but Christianity doesn't only benefit people obviously in need of support. A 2014 report by the think tank Theos noted that church's contribution means something more than providing services which the state doesn't. They also embody qualities which are hard to find anywhere else. Perhaps above all, neighbourliness. A sense that we belong to each other. In fractured communities, the report observed, within an increasingly individualist and lonely society, churches simply provide ways for people to come together. Churches preserve ways of thinking and living which everyone can draw from. Isn't that incredible? That, for me, is somebody recognising us living out what Paul is teaching us to do in Romans. We're called to love our neighbours and become doers of good. And lastly, and I won't dwell on this at all, but we, we, we need to understand the times and just maintain our perspective. You see, we do live in the tension of the kingdom of God, the, 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 the gap between what we see now and what we expect to see in the future. Verse 11 says, Do this understanding the present time. The hour has come, already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Paul's getting a bit prophetic here. He's been very practical all the way through, and now he's getting prophetic. Because our salvation is nearer than now. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. Put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armour of light. And then verse 14, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard that phrase, who are you wearing? Have you ever heard that phrase? They talk about it, about how it's coming up to the Oscars, isn't it? It'll be all, all the rage. Have you ever watched the interviews with all the film stars as they come down the red carpet at the Oscars? Who are you wearing this year? Who are you wearing? And the answer for me should be, we're wearing the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm clothing myself. And that just reminds me of uh, some teaching we did earlier in the year. In fact, last year, about leading our community into life and about how all of us are called to be trusted rulers, those who know our identity. We need to know our identity is in Christ. We need to know we have the authority of Christ. And we need to know where it is that he's called us. That's what this is all about. That's how we live in society. I'd love to show you a video to finish. Um, It's a video from uh, the Vineyard Movement. National movement. Um, it's about three minutes long. If you guys could tear it up, I'll just introduce it. Uh, as Joe said already, that um, not last week, but the week before, a number of us were at the Vineyard National Leaders Conference um, up in Nottingham. It was a fantastic week. And uh, on our um, e-press this week, there is a link to a blog that I've written with a number of talks on there. And if you want to catch up with this video, or indeed with any of, with some of the key talks from there, I'd suggest that you go and have a look. And there's one particular talk which was by John and Debbie Wright. They are the new leaders of the national movement, the new national directors. They've been in post officially about three or four months. Unofficially, they've been doing the job for most of the last year. And they did just one, just one talk where they emphasised, these are our priorities, this is where we're at as a movement. And, um, you know, we're not the only denomination. We're certainly not the best denomination. Um, but we are in really good shape and an exciting place as a movement, as the vineyard movement in the UK and Ireland, as vineyard churches we have, nobody really knows, somewhere between 115 and 117 churches, I'm not quite sure how they don't know, but they don't know, that's what they're saying, Um, there are are churches in the process of becoming established, Um, so do check out the link, but I'd just love to show you this, they've kind of made this summary video, what happened, and you can get this if you look at that talk, is that John told stories from all over the UK, 
He told stories of where vineyard churches were involved in blessing their community, seeing the kingdom come, seeing people come to faith, seeing incredible compassion. There's a little church in Kingston. There are about 30 people in Kingston Vineyard. They've been going over 10 years, and they run this amazing ministry called Grow Baby, which is a little bit like our children's storehouse. Um, there are now 12 different Grow Babies happening uh, in different vineyards. Uh, the thing about Grow Baby is they touch like 1,000 people a year. But the church is only 30 people. It's incredible. It's just one story. There are loads of stories. Anyway, why don't you run the video and then we'll pray. Thanks, guys. After years of polluting and burning, today's warning is stopped. It's time to slow down. and shouts of joy after the terrifying crossing. Yes. It's true. We are living in a time of unprecedented challenges, conflicts and uncertainties. Communities torn apart by fear, mistrust and self-centred apathy. Many are left isolated, without purpose and living in the dark. But Jesus said, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, more than ever, Christ's ambassadors are required to stand up and be counted, to make a difference wherever they are and be the light in the darkness. Vineyard movement is ready to build on the past. It's a new season of growth where we want to bring the light of Christ to every area of society. So the challenge is on to communicate the gospel and extend God's kingdom. Together, everywhere, in every way. Dreaming of what we can do for His glory, we take each step as He leads us on this adventure. More than 150 vibrant, culturally relevant, creative and Christ-centred churches. The UK and Ireland Vineyard already has well over 20,000 ambassadors for the kingdom. Our reach is far and wide, across many cities and towns, in a multitude of workplaces and from all walks of life. We are living and breathing to make a difference. In God's name and for his glory. But now is not the time to rest. It is time to focus, to build and look to the new challenges ahead. To be filled and energized by the power of the Holy Spirit and grasp what form of impossible God would now have us reach for. We will not be contained. We will not be intimidated. We will be the light of the world. Why don't we stand together? And if you want to see that again or catch up,
with that conference, look at my blog. There's a link on the press, and I'll put a link on Facebook later on today as well, on the church's Facebook site and Twitter. But Lord, why don't we just invite the Holy Spirit? Spirit, we welcome you. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, living your way is a challenge, but it's an exciting challenge. It really is something to live up to, something to press into. We want to be people that make a difference. So desperately want to be people that see see transformation and change. Thank you that your gospel, your blood is big enough. Your gospel is powerful enough. And just as we wait on you, there are a number of people that I would love for us to pray for this morning. When I was thinking about and preparing, I felt that there were those. If there is anybody here who works in government, at whatever level, be it local, council, regional, national, we'd love to pray for you. We'd just love to bless you and pray for you. Oh, sorry, can you stick this other mic on, Mark? I had a sense as well that uh, God may be calling some of us here to positions of influence or we are already in positions of influence in our cities and in our communities. And I, I feel like that when you were listening to what Nigel was saying and maybe watching that video, there was so stirring inside your heart and you're like, yes, this is what I'm called to. I'm called to make a difference in my city. If that's you, I'd encourage you to just take a step today and come forward and just say, yes, I want to do this for you, Lord. I want to live for my community, live for my city, yeah. make a difference in my community. Yeah. You stole my thunder, I had that too. <laughs> Isn't that good? No, the Lord's really speaking. There are some who are really challenged to step out in that. Maybe it's to start a project or get involved in a project, not necessarily a church project, that will benefit the lives of others and make society a better place. There are some of us that, you know, we've got those dreams in our hearts. We really want to do that. We are called to bring it, to have audacious dreams, to have audacious God dreams. So if that's you, we'd love to pray for you. Um, some of us, I don't, know if this is, I don't know if this counts, but some of us, it may be that we're called to stand against corruption. We're actually being called to make a difference and, and to commit some kind of act of civil disobedience or just even just to make a stand against some kind of, I don't know what context that's in, but if that's you, again, we'd love to pray for you and just pray for God to strengthen you and be with you. So if, any, if, that, if that counts for any of you, I'd love to invite you to come and just receive some prayer today. For those of, is there, for those of you who, are, who do work for a local government, I'd just love to, for us to pray over you. Is that anybody? We just want to bless you. If that's you, can you just come stand down here? We'd just love to pray and bless you. And anybody else who wants to respond, if you want to come, if you feel like the Lord is talking to you about just taking a step or starting something, making a difference, being somebody who makes a difference in your city or your sphere. Come on, why don't you come? I know there are a few of you. Come and join us at the front here. We'd love to just pray for you. Come on, that's it. Maybe it's a local, maybe it's national. Let's have a few people to come and pray for these guys too. Yeah, there's one. Great, local government. Anybody else who works for the or works with local government in the civic sphere. Let's just come and pray a blessing on you guys.
And anybody else who wants to respond to what the Lord's saying and doing? Come on, church, let's come and gather around these folks. Now, I know what it's like to work. Well, I don't, I don't know what it's like to work in local government, but Joe used to. So I know what it's like to work with somebody who does. It can be incredibly rewarding. It can be incredibly frustrating. If you consider yourself to be somebody who is involved in changing other people's lives for the better in a civic or community way, again, we'd love to pray for you. Or if you're called to politics, if you feel like God is calling you to get involved in politics, again, we'd love to pray for you. The rest of us, why don't we just stretch out our hands and pray God's blessing on these folks. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. And for those who are called to make a difference in our society, for those who are called to lead in these areas of civic authority, of government, of the police, of services, for those who are called to make a difference, for those who are part of the armed forces, Father, we pray your enormous blessing on these. We pray your enormous blessing. If we pray for courage, we pray for peace, for just a filling of their of them by your Holy Spirit. We bless you. We bless you. And we bless them. And Lord, may all of us know what it is to be citizens who serve our state, who pray for and bless our governors. governors. May we know what it is to live out your gospel. Citizens of the UK. To be the best citizens, to be the best citizens we can be. Bless you. Mm, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your presence here. We're going to stop in just a minute. I'm going to close it. I'm going to let these guys continue to be prayed for. If the Lord is touching you, if he's speaking to you, or if something's resonating with you, even if you're just responding where you are, just, just do respond. Don't, don't go away without responding. If you want to just stay in the Lord's presence, the guys will play.